Hi, and welcome to season one, episode two of Permissionless, where we chat with creatives and entrepreneurs about risk-taking, industry jumping, and making bold decisions to abandon the old and pursue the new. Our last episode with Pamela Lund was a really lively one full of great insights, so give that one a listen if you get a chance. Quick update, we did get iTunes approval, yay, which means you'll be able to start leaving reviews for the episodes. Keep on the lookout for that. I'd love to know what you think of them. So without further ado, here we go with episode two. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Permissionless Podcast. I'm your host, Selena Vidya, and today we have an amazing guest that I've had the pleasure of knowing in my industry for quite some time now. Joanna Lord is a digital marketing executive and global keynote speaker with over 10 years in digital marketing. And really, that's just touching the surface. She does a lot of great things. I'm so excited for you to get to know her. And here we go. Hi, Joanna. Hi. Hello, everyone. Super excited to be here. (laughs) I know. I can't wait for them to hear your story. So how is everything going? Things are going great. Um, I'm up in Seattle right now. I'm in the middle of a move. I'm actually headed to the East Coast. I'll be in New York City in a couple weeks. And um, yeah, in the middle, just kind of in the middle of a a number of great projects. I'm excited to tell you a little bit about, but things are going well. Good. And you're originally from the East Coast, right? So you're kind of returning back to your, your roots over there? I am. Yeah, I grew up in Vermont in a small colonial town, like no more than 3,000 people. Um, and then I, I did my master's degree out on the West Coast in LA and ended up being out there for five years and doing a couple startups and then came up to Seattle and I've been here for seven years. So ready to get back East. You know, I, I love the West Coast. I love the East Coast. It's been fun to do both. Yeah. And I'm sure just the experiences between the two of them, it kind of culminates into just this grand experience of understanding a lot about people and communities and startups. Oh yeah. I I mean, anyone that's kind of done both, there's such different cultures and, you know, there's so many things to be proud of on both sides of the nation and in between. It's like, I feel like I'm bringing all sorts of different cities with me and all sorts of different cultures and vibes. And I I just really like it. So I'll always have a place in both, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So you had mentioned that, okay, you went to school in California. So how did that decision come to be, um, to go across the country and basically do your schooling over there? You know, growing up, I had always assumed I'd go away for my undergrad uh, college. So I kind of applied to a number of schools, but I actually ended up staying in Vermont after my family had been through a couple of, um, you know, tough times. And so I ended up staying closer to home. And when I finished my undergraduate degree, I really realized I love the study of communication. I love the study of community and people, and I would like to teach it. I, I really thought I wanted to be a professor. And so I had these dreams of like living in a, in a mountain and uh, like on a mountain and going to a small liberal arts college and wearing cable knit sweaters and being a professor. (laughs) And, you know, it was this dream I had. And so when I decided to get my master's degree, I applied to a number of schools and Pepperdine out in Los Angeles was a great school that had a really interesting approach to the study. They were doing a lot of online communication and, you know, digital forum study. And it was a lot of new, uh, things that I was excited to learn about. So I made the move. I drove across country with my two best friends from college and kind of didn't look back. I was completely naive and how hard it would be. And, um, I'm glad, you know, I, I kind of drove all the way till I hit water and there I stayed for, you know, the next half a decade. Wow. So when you were in school, um, you had, did you stay in California after you had finished schooling or did you immediately go to Seattle? 
I had stayed. So, you know, Los Angeles, I love, uh, I have a special place in my heart for it. And I had really come to enjoy it. I was on the West side. So think Venice beach, Manhattan beach, Malibu, um, not, you know, city living so much as beach side living and, you know, small studio apartment. I was so broke. Um, but I had made all these great friends, you know, some from my master's degree, some from the restaurant I was working at. And I ended up, you know, stumbling into startups. And so I, I, I ended up not going on to get my PhD and instead, um, joining a really early startup as like employee four. And that was kind of my first step into the world of tech. So when I graduated, I actually stayed in LA for another two and a half years. Wow. And it must've been nice to kind of roll from school right into the startup environment, because I feel like, you know, the hustle of school is just so fast and fast. And especially when you're working and going to school and then, um, taking that into the startup environment. So yeah, definitely. Like I, you know, I think back on it and I didn't know at the time, but you know, in my master's degree, I was getting up at like three 45 in the morning to do, to work as a barista in the morning. And then I'd go to classes all day and then I would work a shift as a hostess at night. And then I'd go to the library. So like, I just didn't sleep. And while I, I don't like commit, I, I don't actually, I've learned to appreciate sleep as I've gone further in my career. But I do think early on when I kind of threw myself into the culture of tech and, you know, ferociously trying to learn at night and blog and do all the things like I think it prepared me really well. Like, I think it just kind of, I got good at kind of shifting gears quickly um, and was just kind of online so much of my time that it didn't feel that unusual to make the leap into startups. Yeah, for sure. And so in this time period, was this around the time that social was really growing or was this a little before or after? So it was a little before. My my first startup actually was with an e-commerce company and I was doing everything from like customer service to helping them with website design to the warehouse stuff and, um, you know, payables and billables. And what I, what I started to really enjoy was, you know, my CEO at the time had been doing some AdWords bidding and I had no idea what that was. I'd never even like processed the co- the concept of an AdWords auction and it was really early and he, you know, it was working really well for our business, frankly, like you could just buy keywords so cheap back then. And so I started to get excited about it and that's, that was the next, you know, two to three years for me. It was really early performance marketing, learning this trade, you know, getting AdWords certified, going to conferences to understand PPC and performance marketing in general. I hadn't quite gotten to the social world yet. That came a little bit later. Mm -hmm. And did you find, so when you were really learning the paid acquisition side of things and you were going to conferences, did you find that the community was really open to sharing information? And did you have, um, you know, a group of people that kind of all helped each other learn or how did you kind of pick up the skill over time? You know, it's so funny you asked that. I was actually, I've been talking to a number of companies right now as I moved to New York and one of them kind of asked that, like, how did you get started in digital marketing? I, it seems like a simple answer, but I've just found everyone in the industry so open to sharing their stories, failures, mistakes, lessons, um, tips, favorite blogs, books. And I was really welcomed into this industry. Like it literally has made my entire career. And so when I first started reading online, I was reading, um, you know, some of the PPC blogs that were, you know, back in the day, more like 
this is what I'm trying. What are you trying? And so it was kind of a, an open forum for all of our lessons learned. And then, you know, it was right around the time that AdWords realized it really needed to start educating advertisers. So there was also this move to, we're going to put up a lot of great content on how to do this well. Um, my second startup that I joined was a full-time performance marketing role. And I got to work with you know, AdWords, Panama at the time, which was Yahoo's platform. I was working with Bing and I got to connect with those account managers as well, which I also found incredibly helpful and open. And we were learning together in some ways. So I don't know, like, I I just feel very fortunate that the digital marketing industry is one where we invest in each other. Like I, I didn't feel a competitiveness or it was, it was really great and welcoming. Yeah. Everybody is so welcoming. And that's, I mean, when I started my career, I just asked a ton of questions and I always had people willing to, to help me. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a very, very good industry. Um, so you mentioned your second startup. So when you went to your second startup, was that, um, in the same vertical as your first startup or did you shift into a different area? No, I actually shifted and, and you'll see that pattern in my, uh, in my resume. Like it, it's never really actually occurred to me to stay in one vertical. And I've seen people that have done it and it's an an interesting because they can also double down on the actual intellectual knowledge of that domain. But for me, I went from e-commerce and then I went into a, um, a publishing model, a media model in travel. And so what I didn't know at the time was those are two of the, you know, more competitive fields. The first one was in like online supplement and e-commerce and the second one was in travel. So I was working and doing marketing in incredibly competitive fields. Um, but it was fun. I mean, it was a, it's a company called virtual tourist. It was, you know, a million plus person community around the world of travelers. And it was there that I really saw the breadth that a marketer can have. And I started to get excited about things beyond performance. Yeah, for sure. And, um, what you say is interesting how people tend to stay in the same verticals. Yeah. So I know a lot of people who do that as well. I've always kind of danced from vertical to vertical just because, you know, as a consultant, you can't really, you just pick up a lot of areas to work in. And, uh, I think that you can take things from different verticals and implement them, you know, as you're working and just having that extra knowledge is so much more valuable. I totally agree. One thing I think has helped me get better at, I mean, I can always, always improve, but I do approach any company now independent of model and independent of arena. And I'm able to kind of quickly pull together what I call the machine view, which mm-hmm. is like, what are all of the inputs? What are all the touch points and what are all the outputs? And so in a lot of ways, I think, you know, I've done e-commerce, I've done enterprise sales, I've done SaaS, I've done B2B, I've done B2C, I've done enterprise, like what I think it helps you do is not get lost in the market knowledge or assumptions and yet be an independent marketer where you can come in and say, here's the machine view and here's all the levers that we can impact. So I I do think that that has been something I can pull out of my kind of different um, industry stints. Yeah, for sure. And so at this point, so you did, um, you had the two startups that you worked with. Is this the point where you decided to go into your own startup or did you have, um, another, uh, place after this? No, it was. Yeah. So I was at virtual tourist for, uh, you know, about, I think a year and a half or so. And during that time, we actually got acquired by Expedia under the TripAdvisor group, which was fascinating. And, and frankly, I was just so fortunate because I got to see, an amazing CEO, his name's J.R. Johnson, 
take a company, I think we were about maybe 80 at the time. I'm actually not entirely sure on that. Um, and sell to this big titan, to this incumbent in the space, and yet keep his culture and stay true to his mission. So I got to see what it really means to build a company and then have a point of liquidity, like hit a milestone. And what I thought to myself kind of naively was, I'm going to go start a startup. (laughs) Um, And that was crazy because uh, there was so much I didn't know how to do. And at the time I was just at that perfect mix of crazy meets passionate meets I had exited with a little bit of money. And so why not try and start my own company. Um, and so I left virtual tourist and started a company that had a similar model as virtual tourist, but was actually in the job search space. And that was about two years of my own startup as a co-founder with, um, another gentleman down in LA, who's an amazing, um, operator and BD lead. And it was fun. It was crazy. It was so hard. Um, but those two years, you know, were incredibly, valuable as I look back on the lessons I've learned that have helped me in my career. Yeah. And I think the the point about, uh, naivety, so kind of entering into the startup space, um, you know, wide eyed, just wanting to work and wanting to build, it's really powerful because it kind of breaks down your internal barriers where you have a dialogue with yourself, you know, when you are exposed to what it's truly like, and you think it might be difficult yeah. but when you just walk in and you're like, Nope, I'm going to do this. I get it. I want to do it. Um, it just sets you up for success. I agree with you. Like, I think I get asked a lot, um, by people I'm mentoring or people in Seattle tech, especially that are like, I'm thinking of doing my own thing. How do you know when it's right? And I kind of, I sit there and I'm like, well, one, you, I don't think you ever know, which is kind of the answer. I think most people will say like, you'll just have to go for it, but there are times and seasons in your life when it's the right risk. And there are other times when it's not. And like, that was a, a season in my life. And I call it a season where I, I didn't have children. I wasn't, you know, caught up in debt. I had, I had a little bit of extra financial security that I could take a bigger risk. I had some security options, you know, on the consulting side where it kind of, you know, hedged my bets. Um, I had, you know, a good BATNA, right? Like a best alternative to a negotiated Mm -hmm. agreement. Like I felt like I could take it. And at that same time, just, I felt a lot of energy towards trying something on my own and it just, it came together at the right time, you know, and even now, you know, jumping way ahead and we can circle back to it later, but I've recently in the last month had a chance to step into a CEO role of a company I've founded and I've said no, and it doesn't feel like the right season for me. It doesn't, Mm -hmm. it's just different. And I feel it very viscerally. And so I think there's, it's a really personal answer to that question when you're ready and when you're not. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, we're going to get into your path a little more in the discussion, but I think your experience and how you've kind of attacked your career has really helped you understand those seasons for yourself, which is super important. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, have a kindness toward yourself. Like I, I say this all the time when I'm at the tech startups around town, but the two years I put into my own startup really should have only been a year. Like I held on for an extra year when we should have closed it down. Like it was very clear the model wasn't working. We didn't have the um, kind of defensibility we needed. There was no product market fit. Like everything that seemed so basic, I was just bulldozing and pushing forward. And that last year I spent through my savings, I became really unhealthy. I was, you know, there was the season was over and I wasn't willing to acknowledge it. And so, um, I'm just far more sensitive to it. You know, there's a time to lean in and there's a time to lean out. And like, it's, you know, it's, it's a very personal choice. Yeah, it totally is. Um, so when you started the startup, 
Did you find that there were a lot of um, differences now that you were running your own ship kind of um, versus when you were working for somebody else? And what did you really end up learning and, you know, the knowledge that you acquired during that process? Oh my gosh, we could do an entire five hour (laughs) podcast on the lessons I learned. Um, I'll try to, there's some top ones I kind of come back to often, but so first of all, yes, they're totally different. It is so hard to run your own company. Like to anyone who's listening that runs their own company, I salute you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, I do find that working for someone else is a role I enjoy, like partnering and supporting a leader in their mission. Um, but I also, you know, there is a lot of excitement when you run your own thing and starting and getting to think through what's our ethos on this? How do we approach this? What would be my ideal working order and working rules? Um, and I like that freedom. Like I might, I might revisit it someday. Like I I don't think it's totally off the table. Um, but the lessons I learned are, you know, broad and deep. So on the actual marketing front, just realizing that the the number one thing I learned, and I feel like this is going to, um, almost be laughable to the audience, but, until that point in my career, I had been so strong in performance and it was such a clear, um, manipulatable channel for me. So I I knew how to make money off performance marketing and it was calculatable. And what I didn't do when we had our own startup was focus on diversifying our acquisition portfolio. And we were heavily dependent on AdWords specifically and Google had come through and they had done an update and it really significantly hurt us. Right. And, um, what I learned from there is one, you have to diversify your acquisition portfolios. You have to be thinking past specific trends in your space and on platform. And I think like that helps me a ton as, as you look at the last couple of companies I've worked at, they have very healthy portfolios. There's a lot of redundancy. Um, there's a lot of systems support. Um, so if we ever lose, you know, one of our advantages, we don't lose them all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that huge lesson for me, the second thing I learned is if you want help, you have to ask for it. And if you ask for it, people will probably give it. And I think there's a, there's a humbling nature that happens when you have your own startup that I've, I, I may be lost at times in my career, but I, I hope I've come full circle and come back to where it's like, people need help sometimes. And it's hard to ask for help. You feel vulnerable. Um, but sometimes just sending an intro or connecting someone or sending them a note late at night, like, Hey, I saw you're really hustling. Like you're doing great. Like all of those little moments, those little personal moments, they're everything to people that are, are in it, you know, and it can make or break your day, which can make or break your week, which can make or break your year, which can make or break the business. And I, I just like, I, I can't, um, overstress the importance of people and networking and community. Like those two years taught me that. Um, and then the last lesson is really know when to call it quits. Like I have learned over my many stints and startups that, um, you, you know, you know, like your intuition knows when you should be doing what you're doing and it knows when you shouldn't. And you really have to get in touch with your intuition when you were in startups and tech, because there's always going to be a momentum. There's always going to be a shiny bright object. And there's always going to be someone telling you to push forward. And so you have to be able to hear your own voice louder than others. Um, so those are some of the lessons that I, I think of often. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I love, so the running theme that I've noticed with, um, people that I, I have the permissionless discussion with is that, um, asking for help, it's such a simple, simple thing to do. And yet people have a tendency to not do it because they feel like it might show some kind of weakness, but for anybody listening, ask for help if you need it. There's so many people willing to, to help you succeed and watch you succeed. And you know, it's, it just feels good for both parties to kind of help and be helped. 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So you had mentioned knowing when to call it quits. Um, so after, you know, you'd worked on the startup, you went through your season with this particular, um, company when, at what point, um, did you decide to just basically close it down and then move on to your next place of work? You know, I'm not actually, it's funny for it being such an important milestone. I'm not sure what the last straw was. Um, (laughs) you know, I think we were, me and my partner were so tired and we kind of like, we lost traction in partnership conversations. And, um, we realized, I remember we did have one conversation over margaritas where we both were like, I don't actually really love job search. And, you know, again, it seems really obvious probably to everyone listening, but I didn't know at the time, pick a startup in an industry you want to spend a decade thinking about. And, you know, we liked the model and we liked some of the content, but we didn't like, we weren't diehard, uh, you know, employment enthusiasts or, um, you know, thinking through career paths or vocations, like neither of us had, had innate passions for that. So I just remember one day it seemed pretty clear. We talked about it and then it became more of a conversation of what do I do next? Like when I, when I shut down your job stop, I had no idea if I wanted to stay in tech. I had no idea if I wanted to stay in marketing. I didn't know if I want to stay in Los Angeles. You know, as I find one change is often a domino effect. And, um, it was a, it was a big soul searching time for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you had mentioned, um, you weren't sure if you wanted to stay in Los Angeles. So at your next, uh, job, did you leave Los Angeles or did you take that in the LA area? So I did leave. Yeah. So I actually, when I finally decided I was going to stay in tech, I kind of had done the, take a trip home to Vermont, like sit on my porch and process. And, um, I was like, no, I love tech. Like I really love startups. I'm going to, I'm going to lean back in, go for a fourth one. Um, and then I said, but where do I want to be? Like a lot of my friends had moved away and, um, I love LA tech. It's such a great community down there. The angel investment scene, especially is very strong. And I was like, I want to go see if I can find a startup city, um, that I can call home, you know, that I loved as much as LA and and try a new, a new, uh, just try a change. And so I went and looked at Boulder and Austin and Boston and San Fran and Seattle was on the list. And I remember I came up here, it was a sunny day, which is unusual. Yeah. (laughs) Um, it was, it was a trickery on the part of the city and I, I love it. And I had met up with one friend I had had on Twitter. Her name's Christy Bolsinger. And we met, for a drink. And I just loved it. I just looked around and I was like, I could live here. And so I didn't have a job yet. And, you know, I knew there was good tech, you know, growing up here. There was like some really good cities and it was standing itself up as a tech hub. And I was like, I'm going to go do this. So packed up my car, drove North. It was just hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the second time that you basically just driven across country to a new place. Yeah. Um, did you have any doubts when you did that or were you just of the mind of, you know, get in the car, do it and then figure it out when you get there? I think it was the latter. Like, I don't remember ever feeling, I, even right now, like I'm moving to New York, totally different life for me and everything's changing in, in the next month I will have almost a completely different life. And, um, I like that. I love that feeling. I love bringing, I mean, I bring with me my friends and my memories. I'm a very nostalgic person, but I love the newness. I, I, I like how it stretches me. When I was driving up here though, it was such a funny experience because, um, 
this is embarrassing, but like, like my car tabs were expired. And like, I think like my car insurance, like I had just totally let my life fall to the sidelines as you do when you have a failing startup. And I drove up and I got pulled over like in like Oregon. Oh, somewhere. No. Oh, yeah. And the guy was like, ma'am, like your car's expired. Like your insurance is expired. Like your license isn't valid. Like he's like, you have a car full of stuff. Like I should take you in right now. Like, <laughs> and I remember looking at him and being like, I'm, I'm like, like five hours from a new life, you know, like I promise <laughs> I'll take care of all of this when I set up. And he just kind of looked at me. He's like, I don't even think people will believe me when I tell them how <laughs> like unorganized your life is. So, um, we kind of laughed about it and he just wished me luck and he let me go. And I remember being like, that's karma, you know, like, uh, that could have been a really hard day. And so, you know, I drove into Seattle and I unpacked my car into my new apartment and, I, I just kind of felt, I don't know, ready for something new. So it didn't, it didn't scare me so much as excite me. Mm-hmm. And so when you got there and you were in your new place and, you know, you realized that you have to start looking for a company to work for and figure out what you want to do, what was that like? You know, again, like digital marketing, so thankful for it because it's such a secure career choice. Like, and I think it will continue to be in its many variations. Like I had a number of consulting clients that I was getting paid on for retainer in interesting industries. Um, And then I was also kind of like processing what kind of startup I wanted next. So what I did was met with one of the angel investors here in town. He's actually really known as kind of one of the original like godfathers of Seattle tech. His name's Chris DeVore. And, um, we grabbed coffee and he started telling me about companies and he was like, you know, Seattle is such an approachable tech city. And he was so right. And so what I did is started meeting with companies, you know, went deep on a couple conversations. And that was when I connected with Rand, you know, from SEO Moz and Mm -hmm. we had known of each other. um, And they were just then making that choice to leave consultancy and go into a SaaS model. And, um, they needed a marketing lead on acquisition. So I joined that team. I think I was like employee seven at Moz and uh, stayed there for the next three and a half years. It was, it was a great fit um, and a great way to, to enter Seattle tech. Yeah. And so over the couple of years that you were with Moz, you had grown in your role, right? So you kind of shifted around your responsibilities within the company. Yeah. Like when I think back on what company was and what leadership team, you know, Ran and Sarah and Kate Matsudera, like what team gave me the space to grow? Like Moz is pivotal because I came in as the director of acquisition and stood up performance marketing for them, you know, helped us understand SEO as a funnel, basically helped them even stand up, you know, capturing and monetization, like things that you, you know, as a SaaS business you have to do. And then I grew into a director of acquisition retention and I got to stand up the retention team and the customer success team. And I got to think through voluntary and involuntary churn levers and work with ops and biz ops. And I got to really understand that side. And then I became the VP of growth, which really allowed me to move into events. And we also had kind of copywriting and design and creative. And then I led the rebrand from SEO Moz to Moz. And, you know, it was just, it was amazing. Like I got, you know, more exposure to product. I stood up a product marketing team, like to product design tech and biz ops than, you know, I could have probably in a decade somewhere else. So I am just so thankful. Like in no way was I qualified at the many times they let me take on new challenges Mm -hmm. and um, I got to learn, you know, on their time. And that's just a really powerful thing. I'm so thankful for it. 
Yeah. And when you were jumping in head first, um, you know, how, so aside just pure learning, like going in and trying to learn everything that you can, do you find that there was anything else that helped you really move from role to role when you were trying to learn all of the new things? I mean, a lot of things. Yeah. Like I, I had stood up a pretty strong mentoring circle at that point. I had advisors and an executive coach who's been critical in my career. Um, I also spent a ton of time learning, like, you know, it might sound cliche, but I read marketing books, some, something on marketing, whether blog or books every single day, morning and night. And I think you can, you know, there's people that say they do it, but then there's other people that just do it. And that's helped me a ton. Um, and then going to conferences and, you know, connecting with the pioneers of our space, like getting to listen to, um, you know, Jill Whalen, getting to listen to Danny Sullivan, getting to listen, you know, to Dave Snyder and these original people, Brent Sutoris, the founder, the founders of like social and technical SEO and community and, you know, search algos. It's just amazing. Like you can't, I, you can't over, uh, state the importance of learning from the people that really stood it up. And I, I feel like that helped me a ton in those three and a half years. Yeah. And at some point you also started, um, speaking a lot. And I know just over the past few years, your speaking schedule, and I don't even know how you manage it all. It's just <laughs> been crazy, but did you, um, kind of start hitting the speaking circuit around this time or was that later? It was actually before. So back when I was at the travel company, I had applied to speak at SMX East on a panel about PPC and uh, Matt Wagner was the the moderator. And so he selected me. We actually had a connection. We're both from Vermont and, you know, we had a really big performance budgets at Virtual Tourist. So I was actually speaking to what you can do with testing when you have big testing budgets, which a lot of, you know, a lot of companies hadn't really carved out a significant budget yet, but we were, we were doing, we're at that point of maturity. Um, so it was great. I remember I spoke, I remember I was so nervous and I spoke so fast, but I loved it. I just, something happened that day. And I think I spoke for like nine minutes. Um, and I loved it. And that was the beginning of now it's been a 10 plus year speaking career. And just, you know, what Moz was able to allow me to do was speak at a global level and kind of enter that keynote realm where you kind of maybe step away from tactical, um, panels and move into more strategic. And even in my kind of my favorite is what's the future of this? Like, let's talk about all the macro trends that are coming together. Let's talk about all the risks that are in this, this space. And let's try to make some really strong guesses on where it's going so we can try to be ahead as market. So I've really enjoyed that. It's been just fun. It's just fun for me, you know? Yeah. And it's really funny to think back to the first time, um, you know, that you take on a speaking engagement and everything that you're feeling and how just ginormous it feels. And then you kind of take a look at where you've ended up now with, you know, the topics that you're speaking on. And it's just an amazing, it's just an amazing change over time. It is, you know, it grows on itself. Like I, I have approached speaking very much like I've approached a job. Like I get asked, you know, um, how did, how did you get so good at speaking or how did you like learn this? And like, I've taken speaking classes. I've watched hours, like hundreds of hours of speeches and keynotes and panels of other marketers that I think are the best. You know, I remember I would circle back with Rand after he'd see me speak and I'd be like, just tell me the stuff I did wrong. Just give me ideas on how to get better. And I'd watch myself speak, which is horrible. And, you know, get better at my nonverbals, get better at my pause, get better at my tempo. And I think, 
you know, some people are born with this and good for them. It's amazing. I love watching intuitive speakers and then other people kind of have to really like, you know, just kind of study it more as an art. And I think it takes time. So over the years I've gotten more comfortable and I've, I've learned to just appreciate the, like I can get on stage now and not feel the flurry of nerves. Um, and that's fun. Like that's probably only happened in the last four years, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I love what you said about asking for feedback because oh, yeah. I feel like there's two minds. So I'm just a feedback. I don't want to say feedback whore, but <laughs> I love feedback. Just tell me everything. And then there's some people who are a little bit afraid to hear that feedback. They'd rather just pretend that it's not there and hope that they get better. So just as a note, I love the feedback um, part of your story. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, early in my career, I didn't ask for it enough. And I remember my executive coach was the one that kind of turned me on to, there's a right way to give it. There's a right way to get it. If the better you get at both of those things, just the better off and easier things will be. So super big fan of kind of optimizing that as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So going through, um, your path at Moz, so you ended up as the VP of growth. Was there, um, another area that you had touched or is that the point when you had decided you wanted to move on? Yeah. So it was the time that, you know, that I decided to move on at the, at the time of that, the, the rebrand was just about out. Um, the marketing side of the rebrand, I had carried that torch and it was literally launching like the next week. And, um, my CMO at the time, my boss had also, but stepped out, um, a couple weeks prior. And so it just felt like the right time. I knew if I stayed, um, I would explore, you know, a. a a different path at port or I'm sorry, at, at Boz. And it would be another four years or so that I would commit. And after sitting down with Sarah and Rand and honestly, just having some really open conversations with myself about what I wanted to try next, it just, it felt like the right time to go. Um, Mm -hmm. so yep, I stepped out and it was, a it was, you know, a sad goodbye, but it also felt so great. Like watching a company grow from, you know, six or 10 people to like 140, Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just, and over that period of time too, it was relatively, it seems like a short period of time from, you know, when it started so small to what it grew to now, because the amount of users that they have now is pretty insane. Yeah. You know, I think Moz and they write about this openly. What, what Moz did was they really, I mean, you could argue that they and a handful of other companies stood up the marketing analytics space and then, you know, struggled a little bit on product to figure out how they were going to serve it. And then a lot of competitors came along and now it's this thriving industry. Um, and Moz has, you know, moved into Moz local and they've doubled down on their analytics and their free tools. And it's been really great to watch them. Like I still am such a Moz fan. I met up with Rand the other day, um, you know, exchanged emails with Sarah, like yesterday, just like, I'm like rooting for them. Like they they're still a, such a great company. Yeah. And just, um, without dwelling on this too long, I love Moz because they basically, their tools kickstarted my career. Yeah. Um, and just the educational content that they put out there, everything that they provide is so great for anybody that wants to start learning in the industry. Yep. Absolutely. So you decided to leave Moz. Um, did you have a place in mind at this point or did you kind of start the search again for the company that was the right fit for you? You know, I think especially Moz in Seattle has such a great reputation. You kind of always have inbound interests. So, um, I had been talking to a couple companies, but when I left Moz, you know, 
Rand was so great. He had actually sent out an email to his network and Brad Feld, who's on the Foundry, uh, he's a partner at Foundry, which is an investor in Moz, also sent out an email to his network. So I just had a lot of inbound interest and started talking to companies, took a couple weeks to decide and ended up joining a company called Big Door here in town as as their CMO, um, which is another Foundry portfolio. So I also got to stay in the Foundry family. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that was just such a great fit. It was a smaller company that was also having, it knew it had to rebrand in the next year. And I was really deeply loving my learning curve of brand and positioning and product marketing. And so it was a great fit for me. Um, and the, the other piece that I was really excited about is it was an enterprise sales place. So I knew I was enabling a sales force. And so I, I was going to get to learn, you know, Moz doesn't have a sales team. And I really wanted to understand how to marketing and sales partner for success. And so I got to learn what it's like to enable a sales team to work through technical integration to have such a high price point, like Big Door Software is a million dollars a year product. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we worked, the, the last piece was that I got to work with Fortune 500. So, you know, our client list included Starbucks, CBS, you know, NFL. Um, and so I got to work with these amazing companies that had amazing digital officers and marketing marketing officers and really learn from them and hear how were they approaching loyalty, retention, marketing, community. Um, it was an amazing year at Big Door to kind of just, I felt like I was drinking from the fire hose the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> if you had some takeaways from your experience there, because it just sounds like you stepped into a whole another world um, when it comes to loyalty, customer retention, and all of that stuff. So what are some takeaways from that company where you just, like, what pushed you to grow? You know... I felt like I wanted to prove it to myself. Like, I think that, and I think this happens. I've talked to a lot of digital marketers or just marketers, right? At this point, we're all kind of offline, online, digital, um, that say, I feel like I'm stuck creatively, or I feel like I don't know what I'm best in the world at. And so what I did with that year or so, year and change was like, anything I didn't know, I just sat down with the person who knew it best at the company. And I was like, can you teach me everything, you know, like I would learn about our tech stack and I would learn about like when, when we integrated Tableau and we stood up Salesforce and, um, you know, I was, an, I was an executive. So I was at the table and I was able to have those conversations about hiring and firing and, um, culture. And I just feel like I didn't, I was honest that I didn't know what I was learning. I was like super transparent about where I was. And I just took on the year of a student. And I think, um, and I had coffees with everyone around town that did anything that was related to anything I was touching. You know, like I just, I feel like I put on the awareness, the kind of sun, the glasses that were like, I'm now looking through this as a student. And when you do that, you know, it's amazing what comes back at you. Um, so I learned a ton. I would say that the biggest thing I learned was you do have to tell people that you don't know it and that you're willing to learn and then prove to them, you know, that you can learn fast. And I think that that's kind of what that year was for me. Yeah. And that was actually the point that I really wanted to pull out as I was listening to you talk about that. Um, so, you know, it's really hard, especially when you're in a company environment to just, especially when you're in a higher role to just say, I don't know this, can you help me? Or, um, you know, this is all new to me. Can you just show me, you know, how this works or what the workflow is? And again, it's just like asking for help. If you just let people know that it's new to you. They're going to be open to helping you. They're not going to think that you're incompetent. They're not going to think that, you know, they just, they want to help. Absolutely. Yep. Definitely. 
So what was your progression with um, Big Door? How You said you were there a year, right? Yeah. So I was there about a year and then a company here in town called Porch actually recruited me. Um, and, you know, I wasn't looking necessarily, but I also, I had heard of Porch. They were on my radar. Uh, you know, Seattle, while we have some great companies like Nordstrom and Zulily, we're not known for consumer companies. If you look at kind of our, our top 100 startups at any given quarter, you're going to see a lot of B2B companies and a lot of enterprise software. Um, and that's just kind of a function of our, our talent, our investment, and therefore like our mentoring and flywheel in town. So mm-hmm. Porch was a pretty big consumer play. It had been gaining traction. It had a strong leader. Um, I just felt you know, compelled to go try my hand there. It was a really unique opportunity for me to own both a B2B and a B2C team because it's a marketplace. And, um, I was just really excited to try that as a challenge. It was a SaaS model. So on the B2B side, which I had experience with from Moz and on the B2C side, it was a great deal of content community, which is something I've just kind of grown to love and appreciate and double down on. And so it just felt right. So I ended up joining them. Um, and that was my most recent role as, you know, VP of marketing at Porch. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, cause we had spoken a little bit about, porch before. So you were, did you build the, um, B2C team if I remember correctly, or is that incorrect? Yeah, no, I built, I built both teams. Yeah. So there was no marketing team when I joined. Um, I actually had one marketer like a, um, I would, I would call him the truest sense of a growth marketer. And then actually one of the co-founders is a deep marketing expert. So he was also a Rover, you know, he was working on product and marketing and, um, but, you know, we moved that growth marketer over into product because he is truly a great product mind. And then I went looking to stand up the B2B team and then eventually stood up the B2C team. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I wanted to ask about this. So when you're basically putting these teams together and bringing on people who are going to be, you know, excellent A plus players, do you find, um, and so for me, when I was in a company, I tended to have, um, trouble letting people just kind of take things and run with it. And it's something with the growth of my career that I've gotten more comfortable with. Did you basically put people in place on each team and kind of empower them to build underneath them? Or were you pretty hands-on with the growth of both of those? Um, you know, I think it would ebb and flow based on when you asked me that, but, um, you know, I think I was lucky enough, the B2B hire I made first was a B2B marketing lead that I had worked with at Moz. Um, And he's probably one of the best B2B marketers in all Seattle. So he came and worked for me again, which was great. Um, Now his name's Justin Vanning. He's just remarkable. And so I did trust him to, you know, he hired in his, you know, acquisition specialist. He hired in the email marketer he needed on the retention side. He hired in the content marketer that we needed for the community side. Um, I felt really good about that. And he really ran that, you know, day to day in a lot of ways. And I, you know, can trust him. I, I, I'm not a micromanager. I, I, I've not ever really kind of been discussed as that. What I do love is being in the trenches. I love kind of sitting in parallel and being like, oh, let's jump in. Like, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? I like Mm -hmm. to think that I lead from within versus lead from the top. Um, on the B2C side, it was a little different because you know, we hadn't monetized the B2C side yet. And in fact, the last year that Porch has had some challenges has been product market fit on the consumer side. So I I picked and pulled more people based on specialty and what I thought we needed to do for the brand. So, you know, there was a 
uh, we took like the office manager was an amazing writer and she had had some experience. So she actually came over, was my first copywriter, but she grew into being like, you know, one of my pro- like best product marketers. So I think I was picking based on people, um, and their ability to go broad, to be able to dance across many channels. Cause I wasn't quite sure what we were going to need, um, once we got product market fit. So it was a little different, but to your point, I know and have realized many times in my career, and I, I, I just can't do it all. I don't want to do it all. Other people should be doing it. And so the more I can step out and play the role of um, amplifier, protector, and facilitator, like, can I get you the budgets you need? Can I get you the resources you need? Can I have the, you know, operational conversations that empower you to move faster? Like, that's the role that I should be playing. And mm-hmm. I just have really smart marketers that run with what they love to do, you know? Yeah. And the growth with porch was so extremely fast. Um, they were kind of the, one of the darlings of Seattle when it came to, you know, growth and investment and all of that was there. Um, so you eventually ended up leaving porch, correct? I did. Yep. Last October. Okay. And what was the driver behind that decision? Were you just again, ready to try out a different um, part of the industry or were you looking for a different challenge? No, you know, it's a, it was a, it was a, how do I say it? Like a kind of a choice that I saw coming, um, that was more of a timeliness factor. So like, I love porch. I have nothing but great things to say about it, but to your point, it was a very fast growing company. Uh, we raised a lot of capital very quickly. Uh, we were overvalued if you were to look at it compared to our revenues. And you see this trend, it's being written about a lot in the tech press right now where, Mm -hmm. you know, Porch last summer really realized like its revenues weren't matching its projections. And mainly for that one reason, really around product market fit on the consumer side, which I can't stress enough is so hard in home services, like so hard because you're facilitating an online connection. You have to actually have it and in an offline connection, there has to be marketplace sentiment where both parties are happy. Like there's payments involved. Like it is hard to get a home professional and a homeowner to connect in real life and love each other. Um, and so, mm-hmm. you know, they're still, they've, they've been working on getting that product side fit, but last summer it was clear that we were behind. We were going to have to either, you know, really kind of raise on a down round or do a round of layoffs. And I wholeheartedly agreed with the decision to do a round of layoffs. So I left just before the layoffs um, as part of, you know, a strategy shift where the executive team sat in a room and said, we're going to focus on building out the platform for the next year. And this is where we're going to focus our time. And myself and four other executives at the time had decided it was the right season for us to leave. Um, in some ways they were turning inward and weren't going to need a lot of consumer facing marketing. And I just know that my love and passion is when I can market to the world and it would, it, it would have been a big cost to them if I stayed. And maybe I don't think it would have been even, you know, they wanted me to stay. I wanted to stay, but we both knew it just wasn't the right choice. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I ended up leaving and it was, a it was, a amazing, like an amazingly empowering time, right? Like I I think you and I actually connected right after that. And I've had three months to kind of, um, think about it and connect with so many of the porch peers I used to work with. And a lot of people from porch have left at this point and a lot of great porchies are still there. And, you know, everyone loves porch. Like we all want it to do well. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, they're a great example of a company that um, has a lot going for it that needs to double down and be a tech product first company. And, you know, I'm hoping that's what they can do this year. 
Yeah. And so, um, one thing that you had mentioned, not to just briefly cut off talking about porch, um, I love everything that they're doing, but I wanted to just grab your little nugget about passion and what you're passionate about. So I can take it back for a second. Yeah. So you've made a lot of leaps between startups and industries and you do it all so confidently. Do you have some kind of underlying theme when you're going from company to company that you tend to take with you? Like what is your underlying theme, um, in everything that you tend to do? You know, I, that is hard, but I, but I think I'll just go with my gut answer. It's probably the right one, which is I feel very fortunate to have been brought up by parents that taught me that I should love what I do. Like, you know, my mom loved what she did. Um, and in fact, my mom passed away from cancer when I was 17. And I remember watching her step out of her job when she went through that and out of everything we were going through, right? Like knowing she was going to pass away, like the sickness, like the heart, one of the hardest things she did was actually step out of her job. She loved it that much. And, um, and then my father who had a more of a job that was truly out of function to provide for his family and didn't love his job. And, and I remember I found a little card in his wallet once that said like, you know, the best job I've had is to be a a husband and a father. Like my father, like that was his role. And he always wanted us to love, love, love our jobs so that, and so I feel like that's the, I, when I have any hard decision and I've had plenty (laughs) and I'll have a a million more, I just sit down and I'm like, am I happy? Am I really happy? Could I, if I, if I took this hard choice or if I made this bold choice or if I was really honest with myself and took all the other stuff aside, like what would make me happiest? And, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're happy, the world's happy. Like it's like such a good, good energy. So I just think that is what I go for. And I, I just realized that choosing that is never, is not, it's rarely the easy path, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. When you're, when you're trying to kind of chase what makes you happy and what you're passionate about, it feels like there's a lot of obstacles in the way sometimes, but I think that they're just put there purposely so that when you knock them down and you get on the other side, it's just victory, like pure victory. I totally agree. And something like that I've only, so that's like the pulse line for my career, but in the last couple of years, something I've gotten very clear about is now I can honestly say, I have sacrificed a lot for my career and I have put in a lot of hours and I've lost friendships and relationships were harder. You know, I'm, I'm not married right now. I don't have children. Like these are all choices and choices I made at the time that I'm happy about choices nonetheless. And so now I look at it and I say, I deserve the role. Like I've I've worked hard. I'm going to keep working hard. Like, and I think that, you know, you get to this point sometimes in your career where you're like, well, this is good, but all that's not good, but it's, you know, it's pretty good. So I should stay. And I'm just, I'm not a, I'm not a, I don't think like that. I'm like not hardwired to settle ever. And so I'm thankful for that. I don't, I'm not quite sure where it came from, but now I feel before I used to feel it. Now I feel like I've earned it. And that's Mm -hmm. just something I hold on to. It's something I tell women and men and, you know, people all the time is like, Hey man, you're putting in the, in the time. If you're here listening to me talk about tech and startups, you could be doing anything else. Like you deserve to have a job that inspires you, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like complacency is a really big killer in life. Yep. Um, and that's why, like when I was thinking about the idea of permissionless and why you were such a great fit to have on and, and chat with is because you, from the outside view, you've never settled for anything. You've always gone after what you wanted. 
And when people feel like they need to ask themselves permission is when they tend to get stuck and you just go for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, people joke all the time. They say, um, like I'll write on my blog and I'll have like all these grammar issues, like typos, but that's usually because I publish, I don't read it again. Like I write in, I write in WordPress and I hit publish and then I go back and I, I, even read it. Right. Because if I were not to, I would, I know when I'd read it, I'd strip out the vulnerable moments. I'd strip out the nuggets. I would, you know, buffer and I would, uh, you know, do disclaimers and I would just, I'd strip it of its goodness. And I think Mm -hmm. that in some ways that's just how I try to live, which is like, I don't believe in no regrets. Like, but I do, I, I guess in a way I believe in that sort of bold living, which is like, if you just agree with yourself, this might not, this will bring some things, some backlash that I don't, I can't think through, but I will handle it because I trust myself to handle it. You will mm-hmm. make your best choices. Like, um, it's when you start thinking, well, what could be all the things that could go wrong and how would I handle them? And let me plan for those that you can just talk yourself out of any choice. Oh yeah. That's a terrible, terrible trap to fall into. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, now you've left Porch. Um, you've kind of had a pretty decent uh, period of time where you are have been thinking about what you want to do. And I don't have any insight into, I don't even know what you're planning on doing. So what has your time off, uh, if you want to call it that, been like? You know, it has been amazing. And I think it's same old thing. I said, I'm going to take some time off. I knew I was going to be making the move, move to New York. Uh, my boyfriend's back there. My family's back there. Uh, so I started meeting with companies in New York and just learning about the tech scene. And I was like, I'm going to relax. I'm going to write. I'm going to read. And then I started a company, <laughs> um, which I think is hilarious. Uh, I actually leaned in as a as a EIR entrepreneur in residence here at a VC in town. And they had had an idea in the live streaming space that combined some of my passions. So I joined their team. I, you know, I've been in the office and also worked remote for the last two months. And we started a company, we launched it in beta. We've done a couple tests. Things seem to be going well enough for, um, I'll be stepping out as an advisor and we'll be bringing in more of the team to support it. And, you know, there, there's a chance there's a business here. And so, you know, as I uh, get ready to announce where I'll be going next for my, my full-time role, I kind of laugh because I'm also at the same time packing up an apartment and, you know, passing off a company I started. So you just never know where you're going to time is going to go. Like you just, that's like, if you had told me three months ago that that would have happened, I would have laughed at you, but it felt like the right thing to do. And I had passion for it. And, um, now it's been pretty great. So. Yeah. And I actually, um, I saw the live stream of the company that you're talking about and it's a, it's a very, very beautiful platform. Thank you. You know, it's definitely like, so the, the company is called Strobe um, and it's live streaming platform for pe- for women that love beauty and men, you know, for beauty enthusiasts. And it's been fun. I feel like, you know, you have these really amazing experts in beauty, you know, hair, skin, nails, makeup, talking about what they love, connecting with their communities in live comments and video. And I feel like it in some ways has rejuvenated me these last couple months because I'm reminded that people that share passions connecting in, in innovative ways, like that's what it's all about. Like the rest is, you know, silly in some ways. Um, and you know, I don't know how we'll monetize it. We'll figure that out later, but we just wanted to see if 
if we built something, you know, if they would come <laughs> like kind of field of dreams ask <laughs> and it's been great. And I, I'm feeling pretty energetic and moving in the next couple of weeks. And, um, I'll be hopefully starting my new role in April and it's just been, it's been a ride. It's been a ride. That's super exciting. Um, I don't even know how you have your head on your shoulders at this <laughs> point in time. <laughs> it's been kind of crazy. <laughs> So between, okay, so just to recap a little, um, you've been in the very, very, very early startup stage. You've launched a startup yourself. You've went in full-time to a couple of different companies in the startup space. And then you had the time off um, to regroup. And then you, in that time off, basically launched a company. (laughs) (laughs) So as we build companies or work for ourselves and go over all of these different paths in life, um, we have a tendency to get a sense of what works in the day for us or, you know, just what keeps our sanity in place. So if you had to think of an average day for you and when you work best, what does that look like? Yeah. You know, optimizing your day. And I think, you know, I've maybe chatted about this in the past, but optimizing your day is if you can get to that point that you're thinking through, like, when am I best, most creative? When am I most diligent? When am I most focused? You know, when am I most relaxed? Like it can really set you up for like an advantageous, um, level of success, you know, where I've kind of settled is, and I'm think again, this last three months has given me a new perspective. I'm getting up earlier than I ever have before. And I'm using that time to do the things that move me forward in my life. And that could be a variety of circling back with friends, um, sending something, you know, special, just like a note or something, whether to my boyfriend or to my family, you know, just setting me up to feel my most fulfilled life in the morning before I lean in for these companies. And then I'm in the company mode and I'm like, I'm full on. I spend my daytime on teams and empowerment of my teams. I rarely get to do my actual work during the day, um, you know, head home, try to process a little bit, maybe go for a run. And then I spend a couple hours doing the work I need to do for the company. Um, and then, you know, either I call it a day and try to connect with humans or I, sometimes I hit the second wing, you know, wind, like probably 30% of the time. And that's when you guys in the world sees me on late at night and I'm writing and I'm sharing and I'm commenting and I'm, I'm mocking things up. I'm coloring, I'm sketching, I'm on dribble. Um, my nighttime has always been my most creative time. And I use creative in like the broadest word sense. Like I'll go watch videos. Like the other day, uh, Keith walked in and I was on the couch. I was like watching like the oldest Nike commercials you can find. Like, I was like, I don't know. I just want to go back there. Like before it got caught up in the gloss, like, and he was just laughing. He's like, who does that? Um, but I love it. I think like, I'm, I'm reminded this is an art form and you've learned it over a lifetime. I, I just love it. So, you know, I'm, I'm finding my groove, but that is my day. I try to, I feel my, my, my mornings for me and my life, my days for my company and, and my nighttimes for my creative self, you know? Yeah. And it's funny that you bring up the Nike commercial, um, situation that happened because the other day, I don't know what I was doing, but I was working on something creative for a client and I ended up looking back at old cereal commercials, like Count Chocula and stuff like that. And just the the way that they've changed over time, I could not stop laughing. I'm like, wow, this is a really, really cheesy commercial. And then you look at it now and it's just like this creative, you know, crazy creative campaign. So yeah, I I totally get you there. And then you get the opposite where like, I looked at, one of the commercials I was looking at wasn't one of the old, I mean, it's not super old, but it's one of the first Michael Jordan ones. And, um, when I looked at it, I was like crying, (laughs) but it was still so good. Um, so I think that that's, you know, I love it. I just, 
I don't know. Marketing is not a new thing. Like I love going back and seeing what happened. And I love looking at the crazy stuff that's happening now. And there's so much in common and yet there's so much different. It's just awesome. Yeah. Everything from the past comes into everything that is built in the future. So it ties in together. Well, full circle. Yep. So you had mentioned running. Do you have something in particular, and maybe it is running. So when your head's down in work and you just really, really need to take a break and snap yourself out of whatever you're doing or move into maybe from management to maker mode, do you have a ritual or something that you do, or is that running to you? Yeah. I mean, running's been a big part of my life. I think, you know, I ran a marathon a couple years ago. I just feel like running is an automatic thing for me. Like I, my body does it. And then my brain, sometimes it thinks about work and, you know, sometimes it thinks about like my dream closet. I mean, I don't even know, like, it's just, I love that it's a freedom thing. Um, I have, I've spent the last couple of years really thinking about what that decompression is. And I've gotten into meditation. I read uh, 10% happier. It's a great book. If anyone is thinking about entering the field of meditation or playing around with it, I highly suggest that I've downloaded the Budify app, which I think is just a great quick way to introduce meditation into your day. I also have the Pulse app on my phone for if anyone's familiar with that. Um, or I'm sorry, Pause. It's the Pause app. But what it, it's like a pulse where you kind of put your finger on it and you just follow a circle for a couple minutes and like it forces oh. you to be incredibly single-minded. So I've, I've tried lots of things, but what I've realized is what I need is something that is away from a digital screen and or something that keeps me from multitasking. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like enabling me to either be single-minded or to be an actually away from the opportunity to be in a lot of things online at once. Um, cause if not, I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm just, I love dancing and around screens and pages and sites and, um, and that that's hard. So Yeah. And for anybody listening, I'm going to put the um, books and the apps in the show notes. I'm really interested in the book that you had mentioned actually, because I've been trying to meditate more because that's the only thing that I can do to shut off where I don't look at my phone or look at something digital. So that's a good, a good, uh, find there. Yeah. Like I've really meditation to me has become, I'm not, I'm not hardcore, but I have realized that I love it. Like, and sometimes meditation is literally putting on one of the Buddhify like five minute, uh, sessions and I'll just lay on my back, like on my bed. Like I'm not in pose. Like there's no, there's no posture breathing. I'm just like almost asleep, but I'm, I'm being intentional about, about what I'm spending my brain on. And I think that's, that's the approachability I like about meditation is your practice is your practice. So Yeah. There's definitely power in stillness. If you can get to that in any (laughs) way, shape or form. Yep. Yep. So I want to ask you about, um, these mantra words that I put together. And I love asking my guests about this because everybody has a different answer. So which of these do you feel got you to where you are now? And which of these particular words do you want to build upon? So the words are boldness, adaptability, fearlessness, and confidence. Wow. So like, these are all great words. Um, you know, when I think about which ones got me here, both boldness and adaptability certainly shine. You know, boldness, we've talked a good amount about it, but I feel like I was told I could be bold. And I feel, one, anyone that's listening that has children, let them know that. <laughs> like, um, and then two, anyone that um, doesn't think they're bold, like, it was probably more of something you picked up early that can be changed, hopefully. And, um, and then the adaptability piece, like that's something I've learned to appreciate in the last five to six years, which is, um, I don't know what I don't know. 
I'll figure it out. You know, critical thinking is important. Like troubleshooting, opening up what you don't know, like just kind of being fluid like that is part of the process. And if you want to be good at, especially at tech and startups, adaptability, getting comfortable with ambiguity and just being able to be fluid and like not take it so personal, but stay passionate. Like that is a art. Um, so those two are things that I think have gotten me here. You know, fearlessness is not something I would say I have. I certainly, I have fear, um, all the time. <laughs> uh, I, I think things are scary. Like I have anxiety. In fact, I mean, really honest moment, like the night before last, uh, about like my one-way ticket to New York and sat on my couch and had like a legit anxiety moment, like, you know, teared up, was like, what's going on? Um, but then I was like, okay, well, we knew that was going to happen. So let's move on. Um, <laughs> so there's a, you know, fearlessness is something I think I could get better at. And then confidence. Like, I don't know if it's, there's a lot of factors, you know, being a woman, it's one of them. My age is another. Um, but I, you know, there are many times and I've gotten better the last year or two specifically, but where people around me have been like, you know, have more confidence. Like, don't you, you know, respect what you've done? Like, you know, show up with that, with that gravitas. And that's a real thing. Uh, so I think those, I love all four of those words. And I think they're all ones that I hope I can, and, and you know, as the years roll by, say I get more comfortable with. Yeah. And I love how, so there definitely is a difference between boldness and confidence, and it's just such a minor difference in how you approach things. Yeah. So, you know, going after something with boldness is completely different from doing it, but truly having the confidence in yourself. So yeah, absolutely. So you have basically, you've built your own life. I mean, you've, you've done whatever you wanted to do, worked wherever you wanted to work and built what you wanted to build. What has been your favorite thing about basically living by your own rules? Wow. Um, hmm. So, wow. So, so many things like, I don't, I mean, it sounds weird, but I recognized at some point along the way that I was living a less traditional life and I don't wear that as a chip on my shoulder. I have many friends that are incredibly happy in what I'm holding up quotations would be a more traditional life. Like they're incredibly fulfilled and, but I just kind of knew it wasn't right for me. And um, you know, almost got married a long time ago and stepped away. Like, I'm not sure if I'll have children, you know, all of these kind of more traditional roles. And I think the freedom that I feel knowing the trust I have in myself is what I'm most excited about where it's like, I don't know everything, but I feel really good about the decisions I make. I, I feel like I, I have learned to hear myself. And so I'm happy about that. I also think the thing that was unexpected bonus was the way that it inspires others. Like I didn't expect to feel that karma that comes when you kind of tell someone you're mentoring or someone in passing or someone you grab coffee with, like, what do you really want to do? Like you can do that. Um, and then watching them do that and then having them circle back six months with an email that like rocks your world. Like, I think it's those, you know, reciprocal moments that I'm most proud of that I'm most thankful for. Um, it's, you know, and it's a flywheel. Cause then all of a sudden I feel re-energized. I'm reminded I can make my own rules. And so I think that's probably the thing I love most about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, I was just thinking when you were talking, that's why there was a pause at the end. So I remember when I was facing a really big career decision, I think a couple of years ago, and I'd basically, I just emailed you again. I had, had reached out out of the blue and I was like, Hey, do you have any advice that, you know, I need some help. And you would, um, 
you know, replied back, but you said something simple and I don't have it verbatim right now, (laughs) but you had basically said, you always have the right to change your mind Mm -hmm. when you take a step. And that was just, um, powerful. And you know, what you were saying about just giving somebody the confidence or permission to know that they can do it is sometimes all that they need. Yeah. You know, I think you actually bring up something that I do hold really close to me is the, give yourself the freedom to fail. Like I was such a perfectionist growing up and I still am to some degree. And I remember like my sister-in-law once told me like, you always want to be exactly what someone wants you to be. And when you have all of those, those minds and voices, it's really hard to live your fullest life because you're just not giving yourself the freedom to be non, you know, imperfect and to be, and to fail and stumble. When I first moved out that first trip, kind of bringing us full circle, when I took that road trip to California, my brother, Peter, I don't think he'll ever know how, maybe he will when he hears this, but how pivotal it was, but he wrote in a card, you know, he had also gone to Colorado and since returned to Vermont when my mom was sick. And he wrote in this card, you know, you're out here, you're across the nation. Like, this is going to be a grand adventure and you're going to meet, you know, it's all sorts of things. And he's like, but if you are too lonely or it's too hard, just come back. Like you'll be better off for the people you met. This is verbatim. Like you'll be better off for the people you met and the experiences you had and we'll welcome you home. And like, I think that like, I almost get choked up because I think about that all the time and I recognize that not everyone has a home to return to. Um, but hopefully you can find some security, a friendship or a, you know, an online community that you can return to that reminds you you're great. And that might not have worked out, but this one will, you know, like, I think there's just a, there's something really special in the safety of, of, um, of that, of that network, of that support and that family telling you that you'll be fine. So Mm -hmm. I think that's been really a huge reason why I've kind of lived the way I have. Um, Super thankful for it. So if you had to distill down a piece of advice for somebody and you just had a ton of really, really great nuggets in there, if somebody is just having trouble taking that first step and they want to make the leap, but maybe they don't have the support from friends and family or they're unsure of themselves, what would be one piece of advice that you would give them? you can email me. (laughs) Um, you know, I don't know. I, that sounds crazy, but like, I I do think that there are people and you know, I'm one of a million that have raised their hands. I mean, this podcast is another like five surround yourself with people that want you to live your bold, most fulfilled life, like, and have coffee and read and read their books and listen to their podcasts and keep that sort of strength around you. And if you really need, um, you know, more one-on-one support, like look for that coach, look for that, um, that person that you can meet with that mentor, that advisor that can look you in the eye and get to know you and just be that voice. And then I'd say like, pay it back and be it for other people. I think I am not naive. Like people have bills, they have responsibilities. Like it is hard to take chances, but you can. It's just, you have to build that support circle that can help you with those added responsibilities. And that's hard, um, but it can be done and it should be done. Cause like, you know, the more responsibility you have shouldn't take away your chance to live like the most fulfilled life. It should only, it should empower you to know that you can handle more cause you are. So I think it's, it's hard, but it's, it's definitely possible. Yeah. And there's also something to be said for building that tribe around you of people who just get you and they understand what you want. And they also know, you know, some of the things that might be holding you back and they're just there for you, no matter what your decision ends up being. 
Absolutely. Like I'm such a fan of keeping well-rounded voices. Lots of people around me tell me this is crazy or that's crazy. I've had plenty of people after things didn't work out, be like, I told you it wasn't going to work out. Um, and they mean it with love. Um, and I, that just, that just reminds me. Yeah. Like, you know, every choice you make 50% will support it. 50% won't. And that's why you have to get really good at hearing, trusting, and having your, your own voice. Mm -hmm. Yep. Taking the first step is just sometimes the hardest part, but once you do it, you're kind of on a roll and just run with it. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. So we have a speed round now. So this is just going to be super quick answers. You ready? Yes. Let's go for it. Okay. So this doesn't have to be marketing or business related, but what's your favorite book or podcast? This podcast? No. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I am excited about this podcast. This is a topic I care a lot about. So excited for that. Thank you for building it. Um, oh, thank you. On the book front, it is it is most certainly, uh, I would say it's going to be Danielle Lepore's Firestarter Sessions. Oh, that's a great book. Uh, such a good book. And I, her second book, The Desire Map, was also good. But um, that's a little bit later, I think, when you're looking to do more planning. So Firestarter Sessions, such a good book. I will, I'm going to, I'm going to take a chance to do two books. So that's on the non-marketing front and on the marketing front, it would be the four steps to the epiphany. Um, and that just kind of takes you through the agile approach and, uh, just really good product marketing and startup philosophy. So those two would probably be my, my books, but that's a good question. Okay. And what are, what are two badass songs that get you pumped up? Oh my gosh. I listen to country. I, I admit it. Um, I'm a country oh. music lover. I know no one ever, like they would never guess it. Um, so I don't know, like I listen to the country music I used to love in high school. Um, but then I love some of the newer stuff. Like right now there's a song by Dirk Bentley called riser. Mm-hmm. And that is a good, that gets me pumped up. Like I'll put that on and it just reminds you, like you can just like, just stand up, just keep standing up. It's like such a good song. Um, that's probably the, one of the songs I can't think of other titles right now, but I country music makes me smile. Like anything from Pat green wave on wave, like things that remind me like there's cycles to your life. Just keep going. Those are the types of songs I like. Yeah. And country music. So I'm not a country music fan, but I can't help but tap my foot or like Uh bump around in my chair when country music comes on. You just, you have to, it's real. Yep. Who is somebody that you feel truly lives a permissionless life that you'd like to see interviewed? And this could be anybody. It could be someone you know. It could be um, somebody in business, someone you have never met in your life. You know, I feel really fortunate. Again, I think that's something I intentionally stood up, but a lot of people around me live what I would say is a permissionless life, and I love that. Um, so inspired by the people I see on a daily basis online and in here in Seattle. Um, one person that jumps to mind, it's really two people is Dan Martell and Renee Warren. Uh, you know, they're married, but both are independent entrepreneurs. One, you know, Dan's an angel investor, deeply involved. And actually he's doing, um, videos very much around this kind of permissionless living as well. You totally would be great for the show, but Renee, you know, the two of them, it's been fun to watch them. I've watched them fall in love. I've watched them have a family of two children and start companies all in the last four years. And you just look at it and you're like, you guys are badasses. Like I'm so proud and like stoked for how, how they are choosing to live their life. So, um, they're, they're definitely at the top of the list. They jumped to mind. Awesome. And for everybody who's listening, all of the speed round answers again are going to be in the show notes so that you can take a look and start listening or watching or getting to know these people. 
So Joanna, this has been an absolutely great conversation. It was such a pleasure to have you. I'm so glad. It's been so great. I love this stuff and I just can't wait to see where you take this, the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So if anybody wants to maybe email you for advice or they just want to see what you're up to on social, where can they find you on the web? So probably the best place is just at Joanna Lord on Twitter. Um, and then JoannaLord.com is where I kind of write and think more about all of this. And uh, those would be the two best places to start. All right, great. So we've come to the end of our podcast. I'm super sad, but for everybody listening, I really hope you enjoy this. Her story is incredible and you should just spend time getting to know her. Go check out her blog and see what she's up to. And we will catch you guys next time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye guys. Thanks for tuning into episode two. Remember, if you enjoyed this discussion, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. I'd also love to know what impacted you or inspired you the most from the episode. So shoot us a tweet or send me an email at selena at permissionless.com. See you for the next episode. I dare you to stop asking for permission. I challenge you, you crazy creative or entrepreneur to be bold, to take risks, to listen to your gut and remember that you have the ability to accomplish anything that you put your heart and mind to. I challenge you to be strong in the face of adversity and hardships and to keep pushing when the future looks unclear, to be adaptable, to build businesses, lives, and relationships that set your soul ablaze. I challenge you to ignite the entrepreneur in you or nourish the existing one, to say yes to yourself and know that you can achieve your goals. You'll demolish the imaginary barriers keeping you from reaching your highest potential. I challenge you to live with fearlessness and confidence. I challenge you to live permissionless.